Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, when Steve and I were planning on this particular uh, study, he says, there is some song I remember years ago, and we found Johnny Cash introducing it on YouTube. So, uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, we're thankful for the Statler sisters today. Well, I hope you were able to sleep last week because I left you on a cliffhanger. That's right. We finished in verse 18 of chapter 3. And uh, there were three Hebrews about to be thrown into the fire because, as the song said, uh, they chose not to bend or bow. As we noted last week, it was Nebuchadnezzar that wasn't comfortable with the lot God had given him. And so he wanted to take matters into his own hands and sort of extend his legacy. He felt security would be found in making much of himself rather than God. And so he made everyone bow before this new statue that symbolized him and the greatness of Babylon. And it, wasn't, it, it seems as though it wasn't even a question for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they had a face-off last week, and we looked at the incredible words that the Hebrews replied to the king and said that the Lord will deliver us from the fire, but even if he does not, we will not bow. We can only imagine how King Nebuchadnezzar would respond to such. We know that proud men and women do not like to be disobeyed, much less embarrassed. Well, today we begin Faith in the Furnace, part two, as I begin reading in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heating seven times hotter than usual, and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these three men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. Then the king's command was so urgent that the furnace was so hot and the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. How you like my fire there? Now, this first principle we note this morning about faith in the furnace that involves several things. And the first one, number one on your outline, involves governed or us governing our emotions. Now, emotions are certainly not things that are always bad. Many of our emotions are, are things that can be channeled into positives. But the truth is, all our emotions, whether they're sinful emotions such as anger or jealousy or Positive emotions such as feelings of love and concern and care must learn to be governed. And when they're sinful emotions, they need to be governed and dealt with and given over to the Lord. And one of the things, if we've learned anything about Nebuchadnezzar so far, is that he has a whimsical emotional imbalance. He, he's extremely high highs and extremely low lows, and he never seems to be in control of how he feels or how he responds. Well, we know that in Christ, as Christ comes to dwell in us as believers, we can learn for our emotions not to master us anymore, not to rule us, not to have the final word in our life. And terrible things begin to happen because of 
ungoverned emotions. Now, let me point out a few verses from Proverbs that can help us with this battle. First of all, A, if we're going to have governed emotions, we need to, first of all, A, be involved in subduing our pride. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10 reminds us that pride only brings quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Now, the source of, our, of, of most of our quarrels, it says, is pride. You, you imagine a, a quarrel that has escalated beyond exchanging a, a few uh, terse words, but something that continues to grow often grows because of pride. And, and the person that is taking advice and calming themselves down and, and, and it, governing their emotions is the person that is humble. The truth is, just as much as proud people don't like to be embarrassed, humble people are usually ones who can ride through the storms of emotions and, and difficult experiences of anger. You think about it, the reason that proud people have such struggle at overcoming anger is because pride in and of itself pushes out the Lord. We're told in Psalm chapter 10, verse 4, that in a proud man's heart there is no room for God. And God is the one that strengthens us to say no to anger. And so we must learn, we're going to look at next week in chapter 4, a couple of different weeks on the amazing story about how God humbles, finally humbles the proud Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to learn about battling pride in our own life. But note it here today that governed emotions begin with subduing pride. It also involves, B, remembering consequences. We're told in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 17, that an angry man does many foolish things. Now, in the verses we just read, there are at least two very foolish things that Nebuchadnezzar does because he is angry. Because verse 19 actually mentions the word furious. He's furious, and, and so he decides to make the furnace seven times hotter. Some say this could be a literal term or a figurative term, um, but likely they added more coal to the ancient furnace, more uh, than they'd ever done before because he was so angry. And so what happens, rather than hurt the intended uh, people of Nebuchadnezzar's grief, he ended up killing the guards. And, and so many times in anger, we don't realize who we're going to hurt. We just say things or we just do things. We end up hurting many people that we should care the most about. Who, who should he care about? He should care about both sets of employees uh, the three Hebrews, but also his guards that were doing the dirty work for him, but he has no regard for them. He doesn't think straight. He doesn't think clearly because anger has taken over. Also, now, if you, if you think about in the mind of a cruel tyrant, if you really want to get at someone, you wouldn't turn up the furnace. You would keep it lower because you would destroy them uh, in a slower way. I know it sounds... Uh, cruel to think about in those terms, but what he made such a poor decision because he, he wasn't thinking straight. You think about all the foolish things you've done and said, most of them probably took place in the context of anger. And, and so as we think about subduing our anger and mastering the emotions of fury, we've got to remember the consequences. One more verse that can help us 
not to have ungoverned emotions is principle number three on your outline, and that involves venting to the Lord. That's Proverbs 29, verse 11 says, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had no release for his anger. And so, since he wasn't releasing any of his anger, he acted out in fury and in rage. We've got to learn to vent our anger to the Lord. If we don't vent it to the Lord and give it to the Lord, we will take it out on others. So when you sense that anger in you is increasing, before you speak to someone in your world, whether it be someone at work, someone in your neighborhood, someone in your home, someone in your church family, before you speak, learn to vent to the Lord. And and that we become more like David when we have this honesty before God that, that can deal seriously with our ungoverned emotions. Lord, I'm so angry today, but I yield this emotion to you. And then once there's release of it, then we can express our pain, we can express our concern without the foolishness of anger ruling us. Well, the story goes on. In verse 24 and 25, we find these words, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, were there three men that we tied up and weren't, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. And he said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. The second principle we see in our outline this morning about faith in the furnace is simply this number two. It involves trusting God's faithfulness. Now there was a part of me in writing this out this week that wanted to say trusting God's deliverance. But the truth is, as we noted last week from the very own mouth of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God does not always deliver us from the fiery furnace. There's many of us here today that have gone through the pain of the fire and in the midst of your fiery furnace loss happened real loss and you did not come out unbound and unharmed without the smell of smoke on you there was loss that took place and though this is a powerful story that exemplifies and shows God's deliverance we know in this life the Bible never promises us always deliverance from our trials whether they be ones of health or whether they be ones that we create ourselves, sometimes we have to continue to remain in the trials of life and there are sometimes loss from those trials we go through. But here, and we don't have a perfect answer other than the obvious one of that we live in a fallen and sinful world that will have consequences of pain and loss. And many of our losses can only be explained by God himself, that we, and we will, so to speak, understand it better by and by. So while we can't always count on the actual deliverance from the fiery furnace, one thing that we can always count on is the faithfulness of the Lord in the midst of it. Regardless of what our sovereign God chooses to do, we will grow, our faith will develop in the furnace when we learn to trust 
that God is with us and that God is faithful. Now we note two things that happens to these three Hebrew children as they begin to trust the faithfulness of God. The first thing they experience, A, under number two, is a new sense of freedom. Now you noted in the previous verses that they were tied up like a like a stack of logs, they were bound as they were thrown into the fire. We're not really sure why that was the case. Maybe they felt like if they weren't bound and held by these strong guards, they might try to make a quick run for it or something. But nonetheless, they went into the fire completely bound. And one of the first things that Nebuchadnezzar, as he's watching from a very cushy seat, he looks and says, hey, uh, advisors, uh, magicians, what's going on in there? Weren't there three? Yeah, there was three. Well, I see more than three in there, and they're not tied up. Did, did you guys fail the not tying class? What's going on? They're not bound. They're jumping up around. It wasn't like they were in a furnace. It looked like they were in a palace, and they were running around and, and jumping. Interestingly enough, why were they all of a sudden free from the, the ropes? It's because the furnace set them free from what bound them. And maybe the same thing has happened to some of you. That the most liberty you've ever received in your life came from the furnace. That before you went into the fiery trials you went through, you were bound by a sinful habit. You were bound and governed by your sin. But much like David said in Psalm 119, verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your words. If you learn in the midst of your fiery furnace to trust in the faithfulness of God, you will experience that new sense of freedom. You're going to experience the living God wrapping his arms around you and saying that the truth will set you free. Not only did they experience a new sense of freedom, but B, under number two, they experienced a new source of fellowship. Yes, twice in verse 25, the king of Babylon acknowledges that there were four men he saw in the fire. Now, this is not acknowledged anymore after that. Maybe after this story is recorded, Nebuchadnezzar got into a big conversation with them, said, hey, what was the deal with that fourth person? Who was he? Where did he go? What happened? We, those of us who want more information about that incident would love to be in on that conversation. But all we know about the, quote, fourth man in the fire is from the observation of Nebuchadnezzar in verse 25. But I like how he acknowledged this. The fourth looks like a son of the gods. What does that mean? I guess it means the fourth person looked very divine. It looked, as far as this pagan leader was concerned, angelic. There have been some theories about what the fourth man in the fire was. Some say it was an angel. Many scholars, and, and, and this to me makes the most sense, that this is what is called a Christophany which is a term that refers to an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. And the Lord seems to show up at, at several times in the Old Testament. Likely, it was the Lord who was the one feasting with Abraham and wrestling with Jacob and in the army with 
Joshua and in the fire with the three Hebrews and in the lion's den with Daniel. It was the living Lord that showed up in these dark moments to acknowledge that he was in control and that he was with you. Now, a verse that has meant so much to me through the years is Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2, and it says that when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flames will not set you ablaze. And that simply means that our God is the kind of God that gets into the fiery furnaces of our life with us. Maybe you've said this before, but I never felt closer to the Lord than when I went through the, and you might, your situation might be the death of a loved one or the loss of something that held dear to you. Maybe it was a possession or a position. But those moments of law, loss, when we cling to God, we have a new sense of fellowship, a new sense of the nearness of the living God. And that fourth man will be with you in your fire today as well. Well, as the story continues in verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar has a complete change of heart and mind. In verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and the royal advisors crowded around them. Everybody wanted to see this, it looks like. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was there a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. <laughs> this, of course, is what we refer to in the Bible as a miracle. If you've ever been around fire, it certainly has the opposite effect. And uh, it, it singes, it, it burns up, and even if you've been at a little campfire outside, you, you know that the stench of the fire stays with you and with you. But they had none of the effects that normally they would have experienced from the furnace upon them. What happens, brothers and sisters, when God engineers circumstances for us to go through the fiery trials of life is that we have an unexpected impact on other people around us. And that's the third principle. Faith in the furnace involves impacting others. And when that faith grows, we're going to note that others are impacted, first of all, by A, displaying God's goodness. Now, as you notice in verse 20, where is that? <laughs> it was, yeah, in the middle of verse 27, they saw, they saw that the fire had not burned their, harmed their bodies. All of a sudden, all of the officials, all the workers gathered around and started looking. I think that's interesting. Have you ever noticed that when you start going through trials, people start looking at you closer? I think it's human nature. Oh, they're having problems over there. Did you hear? Yep, they're going through difficulty. We, we begin to watch people closer that have gone through fire. Hopefully, we will watch with compassion. Hopefully, we'll watch with a desire to help, pray for, and admonish. But truth be known is that people get watched when they go through it. Now, these three men were no different. Everybody was staring at them. And when they stared at them, there was a lot of 
odd things going on. They didn't smell funny. They didn't have the normal uh, appendages and damage that fire would bring. It was amazing. You know what had happened? God had simply been good to them. (laughs) And when we go through the fiery trials of life, one of the things that will happen to us is that others will watch us, and if we cling to the Lord, and if we trust that fourth man in the fire, so to speak, we're going to be a display for the goodness of God. I was reading uh, from Pastor David Jeremiah's book on Daniel recently about the time where he asked a couple in his church how they came to know the Lord. And they told the story of them living in a a town at the time with a very depressed economy with many factories that were closing. And they still had their income and their job. But their neighbors across the street that they'd known for years had lost their job and hadn't found one for months. And they began to notice that they were struggling. They began to sell things and sell cars and put up for sale signs in their home and begin having difficulty Yet those neighbors across the street, they kept noticing that the family was smiling. They'd be out walking and praying and trusting God and mentioning how God had taken care of them. And as as the fire continued to burn, so to speak, with no answer to their economic problems, the couple that had money was across the street going, you know what, whatever that family has, I want. And they walked across the street, asked what they had, and that family led them to the Lord. And, and you and I can have an impact on others when we become a display for the goodness of God. Oftentimes, we lose the opportunity for impact because in the midst of our fi- fire, we allow the darkness of the moment to overtake us. It affects our attitude. It affects our words. It affects our outlook. And we lose any opportunity we might have had to be a clarion call for the goodness of the living God. Something that also can happen as we seek to impact others is B on your outline under number three is that we get the privilege of pointing others to worship. You know, God uses our trials to get glory for himself. That's what Peter noted in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 7. He actually tells us in that verse as to why we have trials. It says that these have come so that your faith which is more valuable than gold, even, the, even though it perishes, though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. So trials come that your faith may be proved genuine and then result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. That's 1 Peter 1.7. He tells us that God tests us to make sure our faith is genuine and that more praise and that more glory might go to the Lord. Well, Daniel... In, in, this, in this story of Daniel chapter 3, these three Hebrews are so Godward in their approach that in verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar begins to worship the Lord. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him, and they defied the king's command, and were willing to give up their lives than serve or worship any god except their own god. They were filled with praise and glory at the God of these three Hebrews. Now, we might note later that this worship may not have exactly been genuine in the sense that it resulted in a complete conversion. That conversion happens next week. But it is significant that 
Nebuchadnezzar goes from speaking ill of the God of the Hebrews to giving him praise. And the truth is, others will speak well of the Lord Jesus when you look to him in the midst of your fiery furnace. Well, one thing that hasn't happened is that Nebuchadnezzar has not learned exactly to govern his emotions yet because even in his good intentions, he is from here to there. Look what happens in verse 29. Therefore I decree, he couldn't resist decrees it seems like, that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubbish rubble for no other god can save in this way you might put that on the little extreme side i mean at one time they were about to burn them and now you're going to be burned if you speak against them and then in verse 30 it says then the king promoted shadrach meshach and abednego in the province of babylon that seemed to be one of his things he promoted people to reward them and he rewarded anybody that sort of looked out for him now one of the things that Nebuchadnezzar has going for him that we sometimes don't have going for us in our spiritual life is enthusiasm but enthusiasm in and of itself is not enough the scripture tells us in Proverbs 19 2 it is not good to have zeal without knowledge and so we need to note that yes while we need to have enthusiasm and, and a zeal for the Lord number four on your outline faith in the furnace involves wise enthusiasm we need to and I'm not some of you are saying are you saying we shouldn't be quote excited about Jesus no I'm saying that we should be excited about Jesus but we it, it should lead us to make wise decisions rather than the kind of decisions where you're making everyone cut up into pieces and turning their house into rubble. In his zeal, he got carried away and didn't use wise decision-making to sort of channel his zeal. So we need to ask God for that kind of wise, discerning enthusiasm about our relationship with Christ. Hey, hey Josh, let's put up that fire again for a moment. This week, I would not be surprised if you enter into a, a fiery furnace if you're not in the midst of one already. And your response to it will make all of the difference in your spiritual life. Will you respond this morning with emotions that are governed by Christ rather than by your feelings? Will you trust God's faithfulness? And will you be used by him to impact others? You know, we're about to enter into a time of response in just a moment. And some of you, when you think about that fourth man in the fire, you might realize that one of the reasons that the fourth man in the fire is there is because you have never come to the place where you've personally acknowledged him, where you've personally trusted Christ and Christ alone for salvation. As we take a moment and bow together, what will be your response to him today? Have you ever trusted Christ alone to give you the gift of eternal life? In just a moment when we begin singing we're going to remain seated today and with our hearts and heads bowed as we prepare our hearts for the lord's supper but we do want to give those of you here an opportunity to respond and it may be on your heart to respond by joining our church today and becoming part of our church family maybe it's on your heart today to give your life to christ and to acknowledge that you need that personal relationship with the lord and, and so when you hear the music being sung in just a moment Wherever, are, wherever you are in the room, 
simply get up from where you are and come forward because we want to talk and pray with you about what it means to know Christ. You come as the Lord leads.